So which, which name, which aspect of God are you clinging to this morning? Do you come here with your life out of sorts, out of order, and you call out to creating God to bring order out of the chaos? Do you come here in the wilderness seeking the sustaining God to give you the daily bread to get you to, through the day to the next morning? Have you come to a trial or temptation that is beyond you? You call out to redeeming God to deliver you through the tempest. Or maybe this morning God feels distant and you yearn for indwelling God, the God who's present, the God who is near to the brokenhearted. Well, that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture is we have all these different layers to who God is as God has revealed himself to us. And uh, we, we cling to the different aspects of God. So God in Scripture is warrior and sage, provider, father, judge. And the list goes on. And what really we're getting a, a window into is God's very character. But for our sermon this morning, I would like us to focus on redeeming God, the deliverer, the rescuer, the God of the exodus, the God of the cross, because this morning in this series, we come to the very last petition of the Lord's Prayer. It's, it's a plea for deliverance. We've been working through the Lord's Prayer one line at a time, really thinking about our worship and what God is shaping in us for our worship through this prayer, which is really a gift to the church. And, and our worship goes well beyond these walls on a Sunday morning. Our, our very lives, the way we conduct ourselves is part of God hallowing His name and part of His inbreaking kingdom that has come into this world through Jesus Christ. We participate in this. It is our, our living worship. Last week, we looked closely at what I believe to be the hardest thing that Jesus demands of his followers when we pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We are called to forgive those who trespass against us, who sin against us. But this morning, we're going to what I think is the most mysterious of the petitions, it raises all kinds of questions. What is God like? What is God's role in testing or temptation or trial? And that is the line, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But before we dive into our sermon text, which is going to be found in Matthew chapter 26, if you want to turn there, we'll be there in a little, in a little while. I want to spend a little bit of time on this word, temptation. There's a wide range of meanings for this word, this particular word. Uh, we've talked about this word before in the book of James, James chapter 1. And the word is parasmos. Parasmos. It can mean temptation or test or trial. I heard one speaker at a conference talk about this word, and he, he basically said this has the range of anything from a hangnail to the Holocaust. There's a, there's a wide range of meanings for this word. A, a good example of this is in James chapter 1. And 
we see how the translators come upon this word and they have to make a decision based on the context. So in James chapter 1 verse 2, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials, parismos of various kinds. And then you get to James chapter 1 verse 13. You have the verb form of this word. It has the same root word, but here that word is talking more about entrapment, enticement to do evil. And James makes it clear, God does not entice his children to do evil. God is not out to trip his children up. And yet there's this tension in scripture, God can and God does lead us to the wilderness, lead us to the place of temptation and testing. We see this in the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, just following his baptism. If you're following the story of Matthew, it's kind of a new exodus. Jesus has his baptism, his Red Sea moment, and then he goes out into the wilderness wanderings. And Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Notice that it's God's Spirit that leads Jesus into the place of temptation. But it's the devil who tempts. God does not tempt. And I bring all this up really to expand the meaning of this word. And for me personally, whenever we say the Lord's Prayer corporately, or when we say it with my family, I use the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But when I say the Lord's Prayer privately, I say something along the lines of, Lord, lead us not into a time of testing, really as a way to capture the full meaning of this word, parismos. But what does it mean to say this line? What does it mean to ask God to not lead us into temptation or testing? From what I understand, our growth and our maturing really depends upon going through fire, going through the wilderness, going through trials and overcoming temptations. So whenever we pray this petition, are we asking God to take that away which helps us grow? Or is there something else going on here in this petition? Well, I think there is something else going on. And this morning, the passage that I want to look at is really the ultimate test of Jesus when his hour came in Matthew chapter 26. We're going to begin in verse 36. As you turn there, this is Gethsemane, which we typically think of as a garden. We hear it in our hymns. But Gethsemane really means oil press, olive oil press. For some of you who are in the the Ray Vanderlyn class we did last summer in the way of the cross. Uh, he worked through this prayer at an olive oil press. And for those of you who watch The Chosen, uh, there's this little group of disciples who are they're starting their own little olive oil business. I think I know where that's headed. We'll see. But what happened there at the olive oil press? What happened at Gethsemane? Well, let's, let's hear the word of God. From Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36. 
Then Jesus went with them to the place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me, or stay awake with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into Parismos temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went, went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the, the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. May God bless the reading of his word. I don't watch a lot of TV. I do watch a lot of YouTube videos. The algorithm scares me. It's almost like the algorithm knows me, and they feed me these videos that I enjoy watching. Uh, one video that came into my feed was of mixed martial arts. Now, I watch sports online. Uh, my preference is basketball and football. I grew up watching boxing with my dad. I don't really watch mixed martial arts. I couldn't tell you one single fighter, current fighter. I really couldn't tell you one current boxer for that matter. But the title of this YouTube video was clickbait for me. The title was something along the lines of Cocky fighter gets knocked out. And I watched it. It wasn't false advertising. In this match, there was a fighter who was taller, faster, stronger than his opponent. His opponent was, well, he was kind of short. And for most of the fight, he was winning handily. But then he did some things in that fight that got my blood boiling. So there was a moment when the referee had to separate the fighters and this cocky fighter put his hand out for a touch-the-glove moment. And for those of you who are familiar with fighting, you touch the glove with your opponent as a way of pausing, giving respect to the opponent. Well, he touched the glove, and right as he touched the glove, he gave a kick to the side of the guy's leg. It was a cheap shot. And then the fighter started to taunt his shorter opponent. Anytime he landed a punch, he would do this little shimmy shake dance. I'm not going to demonstrate it for you this morning. <laughs> but at one point, he put his hands behind his back and started to make faces at his opponent. 
He was clearly winning. The other fighter had large red whelps all over his legs and on his back and on his face. But then it happened. This cocky fighter landed an overhand punch, and then he turned completely to the side and started to do his shimmy-shake dance. And this time, his opponent didn't wait for him to finish the dance. He executed a high roundhouse kick right into the chin, and this cocky fighter was knocked out cold. Now, how did YouTube know that I was going to enjoy watching that? There's something about that scenario that really got into my heart. I think it touched something deep in my DNA. Uh, It goes back to the great fables. Think about the tortoise and the hare and how bad things happen whenever you disrespect your opponent. Uh, The writer of Proverbs had something to say about that in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. I think that cocky fighter would have done well to hear that proverb. I think Peter and Gethsemane would have done well to hear a fresh hearing of this proverb. If you notice in our sermon passage, Peter takes front stage. I mean, there are other disciples there. But Jesus is talking to Peter. I wonder why. Well, Jesus asked all of his disciples, and especially those three in his inner circle, to keep watch with him and pray. Jesus was starting to feel the terrible weight of what he was about to endure. The cross was less than 24 hours away. This was going to be a very long and intense night. And Jesus needed a friend. He needed someone to be present with him. He needed someone to pray with him. He needed someone, as one of my mentors told me one time, to show up and shut up. But alas, the disciples' eyes were heavy, including Peter's. This is a far cry from Peter that we find right before our sermon passage. They're at the Last Supper. Jesus tells his disciples that they are going to fall away, that the shepherd is going to be struck, and the sheep are going to be scattered. And Peter announces, I will never fall away. And Jesus says, yes, you will. You're going to disown me three times before the rooster crows. And Peter says, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. I will not do it. A bold claim. Well, Peter should have had confidence. After all, he had witnessed The feeding of the 5,000, walking on water. Well, he walked with Jesus on the water for a little time. Uh, The transfiguration. Uh, Peter was part of that small group of disciples that witnessed Jesus raising a little girl from the dead. But in his first test, following this bold claim that I will never deny you, he falls asleep. A sign of what was to come, a great and terrible fall. Peter entered the ring of trial with overconfidence and maybe an overinflated view of his own strength and skill. Peter did not respect his opponent. And I connect with that. 
at certain moments in my life. I was there right with Peter. There was a time in my life when I felt invincible. There was a time in my life when I had little to no respect for my opponents, when I carried a spiritual, I would say, overconfidence in my knowledge, in my skill, in my own strength. There was a time when I entered into the battle of trial with boldness, but I got knocked down. I have the scars to prove it. And I don't think I'm alone. I think it could happen to any of us, especially when we're young, especially when things are going well, especially when we have a kind of religious experience. Maybe it's our baptisms. Maybe it's up at the top of the mountain on trek, or maybe it's family, family retreat, and we come back, we're on a spiritual high, so to speak. Well, those are the moments when we really need to be watchful and to pray, because pride cometh before the fall. I think this is what Jesus was trying to warn Peter about whenever he predicted his denial I think this is what Jesus was warning Peter about there at Gethsemane and the other disciples. Watch and pray that you may not enter into parismas, temptation, testing. And then Jesus says something that I think is a gift to the church. The spirit indeed is willing, he says, but the flesh is weak. Could this be commentary on the last petition of the Lord's prayer It's Gethsemane that really unpacks the message of that last petition in this prayer that Jesus gave his disciples probably a few years before this incident at the olive oil press. Things at Gethsemane were about to get very dark and bleak for the next 48 hours. And the last thing that the disciples needed to do, the last thing that Peter needed to do, was to enter into the ring of trial with bravado and a disrespect for the opponent that they were about to face, both the enemy from without and especially the enemy from within. Brothers and sisters, evil is very real. And it's nothing to take lightly. Whether we're facing a temptation to participate in the evil or we're facing a faith test in the presence of evil, or we're experiencing trial as a result of evil, the disposition that Jesus wants of his followers is not cockiness, nor is it cowardice or despair, but a healthy respect for what the evil from the outside of us is capable of doing, and maybe even more sobering, What the evil inside of us is capable of doing, the evil in our hearts. This is something that Peter lost sight of for ever so brief moment, and he fell hard. Peter got knocked out. Not just falling asleep there in Gethsemane when his friend and his teacher needed him to stay awake, but falling asleep when he was asked to give the good confession in front of witnesses there at Jesus' trial a failure that left him weeping bitterly. 
course, this is not the Peter that we see later. This is not the Peter in the book of Acts. This is not the Peter who wrote that precious letter that we're studying on Wednesday evenings. But I think it was Peter's failures that helped God produce what Peter became. Peter had a new disposition by then. The disposition that Jesus is calling upon his disciples to carry into battle is one of humility and meekness. Notice that Jesus doesn't tell them to stay awake by doing these three steps. Don't stay awake by appealing to your training and your inner discipline and the strength within you. No, Jesus says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Watch and pray. This is beyond you. This is beyond all of us. Which brings us back to this petition in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There are a lot of questions that I have about that. What's God's role in leading us into temptation? God does not tempt, and yet He leads us to the place of testing. And those are good questions to wrestle with. But I don't think that's the point of this petition. At the end of the day, when we say, lead us not into temptation... Is it not a plea of humility and an acknowledgement of our own weakness? Is it not a confession that my spirit is willing but my flesh is weak? Is it not a petition of confidence, not in our own strength that fails us, but rather confidence in the only one who can deliver us from the evil that comes from without and the evil that comes from within? Is it about a disposition before our God? I don't know what happened to that cocky fighter. I didn't follow his story. This man who taunted his opponent and let his guard down and underestimated what his opponent was capable of doing. But I would like to think that he learned a hard lesson that day, as painful as that must have been with all the pride that he had to swallow. I would like to think that his showboating days are over. Who knows? But I do know that this particular petition for me has become easier to say through the years. Not because I've gained so much strength, but because I've experienced some falls some knockdowns. I've come to terms with some failures in my life when my spiritual cockiness led to lessons of humility. I don't believe that God entices us to failure, but I do believe that God allows those failures to shape us. And they really are a gift we carry the scars, we carry the wounds of the failures that have come our way, but 
I see those failures as keeping us from entering into the ring of trial with false bravado and overconfidence and really calling us to place our confidence not in our flesh that fails us, but rather to place our confidence in the only one who can deliver us from evil. And brothers and sisters, God is faithful. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. Paul says, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. No temptation or test has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when you are tested, when you are tried, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I think the modern version of that would be, Be with me, Lord. I cannot live without Thee. I dare not try to take one step alone. I cannot bear the loads of life unaided. I need thy strength. Brothers and sisters, God has not left us alone in this world. He is our shield in temptation and in trial. And it's hard. But God gives us what we need. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The good news is that God has walked with us and continues to walk with us. And maybe this morning you've come to a point where you are overwhelmed by trial and temptation and you need the prayers of your brothers and sisters, whether it is coming to the front or meeting one of our elders in the chapel. Don't bear this battle alone. God has given us not only his spirit, not only his strength, but God has given us one another. Every single person needs the church, the church family, to walk the path that God has called us to walk. If you'd like to respond to the good news of the God who is present with us, the redeeming God, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.